everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Dying Sports YouTube page and podcast network. Today we've got episode 18 and we're going to be talking all things golf today. And joining us is a very special guest. He's a very talented local amateur golfer who has uh, played not only at the NCAA level, but has also represented Canada internationally on several junior events. Uh, he's competed in local tournaments, tournaments abroad, has several uh, fairly high profile wins under his belt as well too so we are thrilled to be welcoming uh, Ryan Sevigny onto the podcast today so he'll unpack not only his journey as far as how he picked the right school for him and uh, making sure that it was the right fit for not only academically but making sure that he would um, blend in seamlessly with the golf team there and, and also get uh, a fair crack at, at some decent playing time because uh, he kind of peels back a little bit of the um, school golf mentality there and sort of what goes into it and there's lots of people on the team and only so many spots so it's definitely different than a uh, team sport because everyone while you're all pulling for the same university uh, at the end of the day there, there's only so many spots to go around so it's a it's a really interesting dynamic so we can sort of peel that back a little bit as well too and uh, dive into that so uh, we got a great episode hope you guys enjoy it hey guys thanks for tuning in to another episode of the dine sports youtube page and podcast network joining us today is ryan sevigny ryan how are you doing sir i'm doing well kyle how are you <laughs> doing really well doing really well so you know as, as a golfer and lockdown going on right now are, are you playing more golf less golf about the same amount of golf what, what what's your day-to-day -day look like i would say i'm probably playing about the same amount of golf i would say the one trade-off is is i'm playing less competitive rounds at zero to this point that i would have normally played in a given uh like summer schedule um but i'm i'm still able to play but the biggest thing i'm finding is it's very hard to get in your practice because at the golf courses they're very restrictive in uh what you're able to do when you're there like how soon you can arrive before your scheduled tea time and then pretty well they're strictly enforcing you gotta leave the premises when you're around so it makes it a bit harder to kind of get in my reps that way but in terms of actual games i would say it's about the same um of course, we lost a few weeks there, uh, waiting for the season to get going. But uh, you know, I'm I'm lucky enough that golf is one of those sports that even in a pandemic um, is kind of one of those low risk activities or I guess sports. So um, it's nice to uh, still have that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, um, what sort of guidelines or have you heard any sort of scuttlebutt coming through the the grapevine there of you know what a competitive golf season might look like this year or is everyone sort of grasping at straws at this point still it's on honestly a bit of both so like my typical tournament schedule it's probably a good mix between like individually run tournaments whether it's a um i do one with flagstick magazine their golf publisher in eastern ontario run their own event um and then courses just conduct their own events. Like it might be like a 36 hole one day event. Um, I've done down in Kingston, I had a Rockway golf club and then our provincial governing bodies. Like there's the OVGA and all, which is the Ottawa Valley golf association. And they're um, a subset of uh, the Quebec golf association and they fall under the umbrella of Canada. So I, I, I usually do a combination of those, but well up to this past week, what I found out was, a lot of the local 
um, club run events, they're basically just saying, we're, we're just going to skip this year. And the rationale I was from a lot of the clubs was, is, you know, we've conducted this event 75 years and it looked the same every year. And if we can't provide that same tournament experience to the competitors, we'd rather just, you know, delay a year and hopefully be able to go in 2021 rather than, you know, just give a completely different product. And I, I see that, but as a competitor, I still look at it and say like, if there's a dinner at the end of the day, like, cool, that's great. It's nice to socialize with some of the other players, but we're all there to compete. And, like, you can still put us on the golf course and we can all just put the ball in the hole and lowest score wins. So but the competitor in me is a little frustrated, but I, I certainly get it. The logistics must be a nightmare. Um, but thankfully, there are other events and the governing bodies worked a lot with the provincial authorities. So being located in Ottawa is kind of like tricky because even though we're in Ontario our golf affiliations with Quebec so a lot of their competitions are going to be under Quebec mandates and guidelines so I know Quebec was doing much worse with their you know case so they were a bit more reluctant to um, allow larger crowds and that's kind of the big thing I find with tournaments is compared to just regular golf where you just show up and you go play um, a lot of the times tournaments might either be a shotgun, you know, where everyone starts on a different hole at the time or even split T where they send half the field off on the front nine and half on the back nine. And then, you know, you finish on the opposite nine started on. Um, but their risk is having too many people around, not on the golf course, but on the pretty before and after play. Um, so I think one of the ways they've kind of got around it is they're reducing the number of players allowed in some of these petitions and they're strictly just doing first tee tee times with a um, do not arrive prior to 45 minutes. So that's a bit different because a lot of the competitors, like personally, I like to get around 60 minutes um, of warm up before I go uh, off. And, uh, you know, you're, we're kind of uh, creatures of habit. So you kind of like, space yourself out if you ever seen videos on social media of like pg tour or whatever and they'll film like a given player and you know he arrives 45 minutes before and hits 10 wedges or five five irons and go hits putts you know it's they're very consistent in their routine so now it's you know you want to show up an hour early and they you know there's someone waiting outside your uh, car door making sure you don't get out until you have 45 minutes so it could be a bit stressful but at the end of the day, it's the same for everyone. So it's just an adjustment period this year. Um, they're going to have everyone putt with flag sticks in, just like they're doing, but it won't be like the PGA Tour where, you know, you get to take out the pins and we're, we're not going to be that uh, spoiled. But it, that, that part I find very interesting just because last year I know the governing bodies made putting with the flag stick legal, but I've played my entire life with the flag stick out and I just – would elect for that option every time more often than not if I could and then now you're being forced to do it so it's weird I've played as much golf as I have this year and I've yet to touch a flag stick and that just it just seems so bizarre to me and unfortunately that's just the way it is but like I said it's going to these little modified rules are going to be the same for everyone and at you know they're they're necessary to make these events go on and um 
everyone's going to do the best they can uh, in terms of rules officials and you know, cooperation from the host clubs and the competitors themselves you know they're gonna they're gonna have these rules in place and basically a code of conduct and uh you know if you violate it you could you know get a penalty or two or potentially even disqualification you know if you just say to heck with this and take out the pin or you know elect not to follow these guidelines there will be you know punishment and um, you know it's just necessary for everyone to uh play by the same rules so to speak so yeah it's, it's going to be a different year my first event is july 6th uh but it's a very heavy loaded back end season august and even september are going to be um quite busy um but it just feels weird not to have got going by now in a competitive sense and things didn't get finalized up until last week just to kind of know what your looks like and yeah. you know kind of map out things so it's it's a different year for sure but oh, still yeah. the season so i'll take that definitely different in, in more ways than one for sure and um you know do you, do you think it's going to result in you having to maybe you know travel a little bit further or expand sort of your tournament circle that you would normally go to because you're you're looking for whatever tournaments are actually running this year or you know or is it mostly just getting delayed and it'll be like you say a, a lot more fall golf than you're maybe used to yeah no it it's actually going to be very local centric this year and i mean part of the thing um the provincial body golf quebec they have a triple crown series of events. It's called the Alexander Tunis, which is the biggest amateur event in Ottawa area. Sometimes it's hosted over the river in Gatineau at like Royal Ottawa or Rivermead Golf Club, for example. Um, and then they have uh, another event called the Duke of Kent, which is held every year at Royal Quebec Golf Club up in Quebec City. And then they have the Quebec Amateur, and that circulates between the Ottawa region, Montreal, and uh kind of on an alternating basis and so for example for that year or sorry for those events for this year what they're going to do is and it's my understanding but it hasn't been officially put out there <laughs> so it's not you know set in stone but it sounds like what they're going to do is they're restricting the alexander tunis the ottawa region event strictly to players from the ottawa area so if you're from montreal you're not eligible to come play in this and vice versa you know the event in quebec city you know we're not allowed to go play in it we're not eligible so we can't sign up and register and that's their way of combating i guess the quebec government wants to kind of prevent travel outside of your own designated region but this is still a way they can still put on these events so you're not getting both but you're getting one so you know coming back to your question of you know going further away for my events it's it kind of hard to do when they're kind of you know <laughs> making it difficult and they're discouraging that greatly so like I looked at a few events Peterborough and a couple down in Toronto and like I said these are um these um local club run events and they know who typically comes to play and you know they might get players from different parts of Ontario or whatever and they'll say you know we're trying to discourage them coming here and we can't you know just be subjective and say you can play but you can't because you're from here so they just say you know what we're just not going to have the event outright so i think it's going to be well just outside of kingston ontario is going to be my furthest event and usually I'll, I'll travel to toronto a few times quebec city 
and then I'll, I'll play the Canadian National Men's Mid Amateur Mets, uh, Amateur event for anyone 25 or older. Slightly different than the men's amateur because that includes a lot of like university players and guys who are trying to turn professional, but yet, you know, they don't have a full-time job. So the men's mid amateurs are more like, you know, family guys, but still want to compete on a high level. And, you know, if you win one of those, you get us in the Canadian open the following year. So it's, it's still pretty attractive to play in that. But anyways, I play that most often every year. And that was scheduled to be in New Brunswick this year. Uh, but Nimswick, you know, you can't even travel there if you wanted to. So, unfortunately, Golf Canada um, canceled all their national events. Yeah. So, uh, I think the Canadian Amateur was going to be out in Calgary this year, and that's been canceled. So, whether or not those sites roll over to 2021 or just lost, I don't know. Because I know some some of these events already have a site location for 2021. So, I don't know if they'll be pushed back or what have you, but... Ultimately, it's it's going to be a much. Um, I won't be putting as many kilometers on the car this year. That's for sure. Yeah, there you go. Not as much wear and tear up the four hundred one yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> so so let, let, let's go back to the very beginning, right? Uh, how did you get involved in golf? What what age did you really start playing at? Um, I think the first time I remember my dad getting me a small set of junior clubs, and I can't speak to how they are today, but back when I was getting going, like they basically had these clubs where it was like a half set and it was like a seven slash eight iron and on the grips themselves, they would have indicators. So, you know, if you want a club to go shorter, you're told to choke down, make the club shorter. So basically it was a, put your hands here for seven iron and move down the club to make it an eight iron. And that was their way of not having two golf clubs, you know? Um, But I remember getting those when I was like seven or eight and it just, it really didn't, click with me I I don't know I just it's such a hard game I I would admit to get going because it's so discouraging uh to see any sort of you know you could pick up a basketball and eventually you're going to make a basket right no matter your former technique and but you could swing at a golf ball all day long and miss it or not hit it more than 10 yards and say to yourself why do I want to come back and do this all over again so (laughs) it it I did a few camps, you know, to stay busy those years, but it wasn't until, and I'm sure there's a million of me out here with this same answer, but when Tiger Woods won the Masters in 1997, so I would have been about nine that year, if memory serves me correct, and I was just like, man, this guy is young, he did something pretty historic and awesome, and I'm like, that's pretty awesome, like, I feel like you know, why not? Why not that be me? And that just kind of lit the fire in me. And I got a junior membership, I think the following year at Amberwood Golf Course at Phil. And I was lucky enough where I lived not to be far away. So I could walk there and my parents didn't have to deal with, uh, you know, getting me to and from the course. And it kind of clicked with me there and they did it for two years. And then I was able to join my dad's club at the time out of Manatee called Rito View. And uh, yeah, from there, it was just like a, a snowball going downhill. It's just growing bigger and bigger, my drive for it. And uh, yeah, you know, even to this day, I'm still extremely in love with the game and a very competitive guy by nature. So it's nice to not be professional and still be able to compete with other, you know, competitive guys out there. Yeah, yeah. So then growing up there, would you say you was, we were spending most of your time at, at the home courses or were you sort of bouncing around and experiencing all sorts of different courses or wh- where was the bulk of your time sort of spent? Um, so 
for those first two years of me having golf, I would say ages 10 and 11, I was pretty well exclusively out of Amberwood and Stitzel. Maybe 95% of my games were out there. But then once I joined Ridoview when I was 12, I was there up until when I went away to university. So um, 18, I think. Yeah. So for six years um, there, I would say maybe like 75% of my games were out there. And, you know, my dad would drop me off first thing in the morning on his way to work and pick me up at nine o'clock at night or whatever and just spend all day out there but I had a few other buddies who were members at other courses so I'd play there on occasion but the only other golf I'd say would have been just competitions and you know sure your host club might have like junior club championships or some level of competition but you know that wasn't what I needed to kind of elevate my game and progress so I had to you know play in competitions elsewhere. So, I mean, there comes a time in every athlete's life, regardless of what sport they're playing, where it goes from, oh, yeah, this is kind of a cool thing to kill some time to, okay, I'm starting to compete and take this seriously. Do you remember sort of that that moment where, where you started to sort of turn the switch and, you know, look at taking your game to the next level? Well, that's a great question. I haven't really thought this ever before, but... You know, I, I feel like any sport I'd played, and I played uh, several sports leading up to that point, I, I never excelled or at any of them, but nonetheless, I always wanted to do the best I could in whatever sport I played, and golf was no different. And I figured, well, what's the point of being really good if you're just doing it for fun? So I, I kind of thought, you know, like, it would be a great way to kind of show myself against, you know, or sorry, compare myself against, you know, other good players in the area. And again, like I said, when I saw Tiger Woods win the Masters, it was like, okay, well, you know, 2008, Ryan Sevigny wins the Masters. Like, it could happen. Sure, why not? All I have to do is work hard at it and try. And so I think at an early age, when I got into the game, I it was very set that I wanted to do this for a living, like play professionally. And then to do that, I had to play in the U.S. and university. So I kind of set my goal on that. And then that was kind of a, a benchmark to see where my game was at and, and then go from there. So it was always, you know, it was always a passion of mine, I would say, at a probably two, three years into playing golf where I'm like, yeah, let's let's do this and let's, uh, let's compete and be competitive with it. Right on. And so, I mean, you've mentioned him twice now already. So obviously Tiger Woods and, you know, he, he was obviously a role model for you growing up. Did, did you sort of model your game after him at all or any aspect of, of his approach? Or was there another golfer or, you know, two or three different golfers that you sort of took bits and pieces of their game to add to your approach? No, I, I wish I could say I would, because then I would just take every part of Tiger Woods, <laughs> his game at the time, you know, he was just like, we're talking about when he had his absolute peak and um, before everything else that's been well documented in his life occurred. Um, but if it were that easy, you know, just to say, I'm going to just have his, uh, you know, fearlessness, or his um, relentlessness, not to quit and give up or, you know, the number of putts he made pressure when it absolutely had to go in it was unheard of and I don't know if we'll ever see it again um so to answer your question I, I don't really think there were other players out that I'm like oh I can just I'm gonna have the same guys follow through or like you know be a great chipper like so and so it was like no like you need to 
be at every part of the game in order to be a good player. Um, but yeah, if I if Tiger Woods was on TV, I was watching it. You know, that's who I wanted to see at the time, just because you were seeing the absolute best and who you everyone might have their own personal favorite athlete in a given sport, but whether you like or dislike the number one player in the world at whatever sport, you have to appreciate what they do when they're in competition and just admire, you know, whatever that makes them stand out about, you know, over and above other elite worldwide athletes, you know, in a given sport, you know, they clear, there's something that clearly sets them above the rest and uh, it's always, you know, good to watch it, you know, whatever the sport may be. So, you know, so you you ended up going down south to uh to, to for school and to play golf and, and all of that as well too so what was that experience like you know be, being away from home in sort of a different environment and um also a competitive environment as well too yeah it was you know overall it was it was a great time i had um i wouldn't take it back uh for the world you know um i uh, when I graduated university, uh, or sorry, high school, I was actually going through some swing changes. So my game wasn't or wasn't quite where I wanted it to be yet. So I ended up waiting here. I went to Carleton University, like right after uh, high school, and took some courses there, which I was able to transfer down uh, to my university in the states when the time came. But it gave me more time to work on my game and have it, so it wasn't you know a waste of a year. It was unfortunate that I went through the swing changes when I did because my scores went from like 74 to like 82 in a year. And unfortunately it scares a lot of division one coaches to say, we liked what we saw up to this point, but what's going on here. And I, I became risky from that perspective. Um, so I ended up going to a division two school. I had a few division one offers, but they were ranked outside the top 100. And I ultimately made the decision, you know, golf, unlike most other sports where you're, stacked up against, you know, very good players, like on a basketball court or hockey rink, you know, where they're going to make you be better and you're going to see your shortcomings up against them. Golf is still individual. You're still teeing up a ball on the first tee, you know, you're putting it out on the 18th green. So whoever else is doing the same thing as you that on a given day is kind of beside the point. It doesn't really change your game. So I was quite content on doing division two on a good program where I knew I was got a lot of playing opportunity and the thing with golf in university is that only five players go to a given event and my school had like 15 players so it was very competitive we would have qualifying during the week leading up to a good competition uh, so I knew that if I was playing good golf I would be one of those top guys and you know I wouldn't want to be at a good division one school and never get to play. Yes. It would be nice to, it'd be like a bench player, right? Like you kind of ride the success of the better players around you. And um, at the end of the day, when you reflect on your time, you'll say, well, that was, it was nice, but I didn't really contribute and I didn't really, you know, grow as an athlete while I was there. So taking the route I took, I, I, I firmly believe that it helped me just by getting in that experience and doing that. And, uh, in my third year down there, we qualified for nationals, which was the first time in school history. We've never done it since. Uh, so I'm glad to say I was part of the accomplishment, you know, first in program history. So yeah, it was, it was a great time there. And 
my game had its ups and downs. And unfortunately, I started playing best golf right at my, my last semester in the spring when I was about to graduate. And I wish I had another year, you know, just to see what I could have done. But, you know, it, uh, it, it was just one of those things. So I, I can't imagine some of the athletes now who would have been, you know, seniors or fourth years, I guess we call it here, um, where, you know, that championship season was cut short and then all of a sudden their options are to go back to school for a fifth year and incur all those costs just to get that, <clears throat> sorry, to get that um, remaining, you know, um, experience, if you will, or they just call it quits right then and then move on to whatever is next in their life. So it's different for different players for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's got to kind of be a, a weird experience as well, too, when you were saying, you know, you got 15 guys on the team, only five of them are going to a given event there, right? So in a sense, yeah, you're a team, but you're also kind of looking over your shoulder and, you know, constantly measuring yourself up to one another and whatnot. What, yeah. What's the dynamic like in that as opposed to, you know, like you were saying, a, a hockey locker room or a basketball team or something like that, where you all are pulling for the same thing, right? It, it certainly had its challenges, especially with that many players. For sure, you 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 want to have your team do well, but you want to be part of reason why, right? And uh, unlike, yeah, if you're playing another sport and you're a, a secondary or a bench player, you're still at least part of it. And the only way you can do something about it is by playing better when your moments, you know, step up and ultimately steal that other player's spot uh, in the lineup. But for golf, I mean, I can only speak to what it was like for my school, but more or less, like we had turnover every year. Some people transferred or dropped out, and then we had graduates every year, and then obviously incoming uh, first years or freshmen. And uh, But more or less, my four years were probably three or four players that just were above and beyond the rest of the players. And I think the whole team knew that. So it was, you know, more or less, all these other guys competing for one or two spots in a given week. And then there was, a, it was like a revolving door, you know, um, depending on how our schedule was laid out. If we had like tournaments, I think in university, they were Monday, Tuesdays. So if we had a tournament Monday, Tuesday, and then we got back to our campus Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, and then we were leaving for the next tournament on Sunday, there really wasn't much time to do a 36 hole qualifier or whatever like that. Um, so what usually the coach would, if you played well, you probably in the next event, like one or two were kind of guaranteed. And then if you played poorly, but someone stepped up and did qualifying while you were away at your tournament, they might your spot for the given week. So you were always looking over your shoulder if you were, which is a terrible thought, like when you're on a golf course and you're already struggling to begin with. Now you're the thought of, man, like, if I don't make birdie on the next hole, I'm probably out for the next one or two events. Like on one hand, it's incentive and motivating for you to try and make that birdie, but you know, you have enough on your plate to worry about, you know, you shouldn't have to be thinking about that. So yeah, it's a, interesting. Eh? If, it's like a, a kicker in, in football at the end of the game, right? Like my only job is to make this field goal. And it's like, I could miss it, but if I miss it, I'm probably like cut from the team, you know, and it's like thinking about that, it's already hard enough to hit the, you know, execute the, the kick, but having that thought in your head of saying, you know, 
there's a lot on the line, you know, whether I succeed or fail in this one, you know, sh shot or kick is uh, extra pressure for them. For yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, uh, other than the fact that they, they've got a bit of a warmer climate and they can play, you know, a, a heck of a lot longer season than we can up north here, are, are there any major differences just in golf culture in Canada versus down south in the U.S.? Yeah, I would say like there's certainly more people down there from a um, percentage basis who probably are more competitive when it comes to their golf. Like, I think Americans by their culture and upbringing are just pretty, they always have a chip on their shoulder and they want to be the best at everything, you know, whether it's on a global scale or on a local scale. Um, so I think if they're going to do something, they want to be good at doing it. So I think it's, like their high school sports like golf in Canada high school is non-existent it's not it's an afterthought I remember one year in high school they basically asked the teachers more or less hey does anyone play golf I think one person's like I have some my grandfather's clubs in the garage and it's like okay you're the golf coach <laughs> and uh, I was away at a tournament a big tournament and I was trying to um, even with the coach that I couldn't be at the uh, qualifying event because I was at a big competition and uh, more or less asked like hey look I would love to be on the high school team but I'd be here for the qualifier and there were a couple good players in uh, in high school when I was but I would never have been in um, jeopardy of not being one of those players so it was you know if I can't be there when I'm playing in a really big competition but he couldn't value he couldn't under comprehend that oh geez if you're in this big competition clearly you know how to do this and you know we'll save a spot for you on the team so it, if if you were an actual golf coach you would understand that and know that like in the u.s i think like their high school golf coaches they may very well be high school teachers of sort or not or another but i think that you have the people there who are educated and knowledgeable in the sports that kind of help you along you know, foster this uh, competitiveness to kind of um, grow and proceed to diversity or collegiate level, you know, as the next step. So I think they have a bit of an advantage that way, like kind of um, growing the game sort of during those junior development years. And as opposed to us, uh, high school um, athletic scene is certainly not as um, strong as in the U.S. And you know, priorities are maybe different in when it goes to collegiate, right? Like scholarships and whatnot. And I know there's at least one university out in BC that's now part of the NCA, I think Simon Fraser. Um, but uh, it's a challenge, right? To, depending on your athlete, to get them to choose to stay in Canada or go down there where they can compete more in the sport they love, whether they make a living out of it beyond that is beside the point, but also perhaps get a, you know, free education along the way. So, you know, Canada certainly has its challenge in retaining, you know, competitive athletes and golf's no different than that too, especially when you, as you mentioned, the climate, that's something, unless you're like in Victoria, you can't really offer golf year round to, uh, to people much of Canada. So. Yeah, yeah. That that kind of that's all I needed. That that was my hook to get me to agree to that. Golf yeah. in January. I mean, yeah. As a Canadian, how great does that sound? So 
yeah, yeah. snowbanks or you know putting green <laughs> not, not a hard decision no brainer yeah 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 so i mean you, you've been doing you know competitive tournaments for quite a while now and you've had some great results you've had some wins you've had um success in, in that realm but do you remember your first tournament going into it and sort of what your mindset was were, were you nervous were you confident were you know like walk us through what you were feeling heading into your first sort of major event there i'd say i mean my first tournament i was probably 10 or 11 and I really have no memory of that whatsoever my game wasn't very strong or very good but it was just something for me to do and play in so I, I can't really speak to that but my first major event um I can't recall if I was 13 or 14 at the time but I had qualified through the Canadian Junior Golf Association um to represent Canada in the Junior World Championships out in San Diego California and I went out there and it was, you know, a tremendous honor. We were at uh, the historic Torrey Pines golf club and for opening ceremonies and they had a parade of flags and they had a U.S. Navy SEAL parachute in as part of the ceremonies. And I just thought, man, like that was probably the moment I thought, you know, I'm here because I'm good. Like, I didn't know how good, but obviously like I'm pretty good at what I'm doing. And it was kind of like the sign I needed to just say like, who knows where it can go from here if you're already here after just a few years of playing and like, let's keep at this. Um, but I was playing that competition and it was a three day event and I'd never broken par before in my life. I'd shot 72 earlier that summer. I was like four under par with five to go. And I like three putted four out of my last five holes. Cause I was so nervous. I'm like, Oh my God, like this is crazy to me. Like I put so much pressure on myself for that. So now I'm fast forward back to um, the junior worlds in San Diego and I shoot 75 in the first round and it was okay. I played pretty well. And then I get into the second round and I end up shooting four par 68, like only time ever breaking par. And I do it by four shots and what a time to do it like junior world championships. And so I found my, I'd never broken par before. Next thing I know, I'm like, three off the lead going into the final round and it's like oh my god if I do this again I could be a world champion like this is insane and uh that was such a cool moment because I'd put so much um time and effort into preparing for that event and never in my wildest dreams would I think you know maybe a 71 like I knew I was progressing and my scores were getting lower but I never thought I would do my personal best by four like in a championship you know like that's that's pretty crazy to to look back and say that I did it when I did. And of course, I'm still inexperienced at this point. So I, I felt like I was playing in the final round of the Masters, you know, on the final round. And unfortunately, the moment got the better of me and I, I finished okay. But one of the things I can kind of, you know, my feather in my cap is going into the final round, I was beating Ricky Fowler. So he ended up beating me overall, but after two rounds, I was beating Ricky Fowler. And I knew who he was at the time. Like Ricky was an extremely good junior golfer and won a lot of events in the U.S. So um, he was certainly one of those people where you, you kind of see where their game goes and you follow them, and he made it big time. But at the same time, like I think the guy who won and a bunch of those other guys, you've never heard of them. So that's the thing with junior sport too, right? No matter how good you are, you could be a prodigy at that's great. You're that good at that age, but you always got to keep getting better, right? And improving along the way. And 
uh, Ricky certainly was able to do that. But yeah, I still find that kind of an accomplishment that have yeah. beating him by 36 holes. So yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, there you go. If only it was a two-day event, Larry, you would have had him. I know, him. I would have had him. <laughs> you know, I wish there was like a thunderstorm or something to hands down. So. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, people see it for those that watch, you know, PGA on TV and whatnot there. They've probably got a perception of what a, a tournament is like, but actually being in the tournament yourself there, definitely a different feel. So what are maybe some misconceptions people might have about that, that sort of tournament experience and sort of what it takes to actually, you know, sink a putt on uh, 17 when you know that you've only, you're clinging on to a one stroke lead or something like that there. Yeah. It's, uh, it certainly heightens in your, your um, maternal alarms and pressures, if you will, you know, everything becomes more difficult in a tournament setting and especially like as um, a general fan viewing like a PGA Tour event, you know, you have cameras there, you got thousands of fans. Um, it just makes it that much more difficult. Like personally for me, I I haven't become very strong at um, distractions, if you will. Like if I hear a cart drive off on the next hole, like I hear that. And then like if I don't back off, maybe I'm lucky and still hit a good shot. But man, if I hit a poor shot, you know, I'm blaming that cart and – <laughs> I notice on TV, like a lot of times, like you'll see people moving in the background of players and there's just too many people to keep everyone still. And that's just an added challenge. You know, you'll hear people in these um, um, tents, the um, sponsorship tents or whatever, you know, uh, they, they build on the golf course and people are drinking and they're chatting and they might not be, you know, up to speed on golf etiquette and they might be a bit louder than they really need to be. And, these players have to overcome all that. And mind you, they probably have become seasoned in doing it week in, week out. It's pretty well the same each time, but golf enough as it is, add, add in the pressure of their playing for their livelihood. I mean, some of these guys might make close to a million dollars and lose their job uh, based on where they finish in the money order and the points. Um, so it's, you know, there's a lot of pressure involved. Like golf is hard enough as it is when you're out there with your buddies, just trying to get the ball where you want it to go. So I think a lot of fans don't understand that it there it's that much more difficult when you have people there watching you. At the end of the day, as a player, I admit, yes, the old adage of, um, you know, it's just you just hit the shot, you know, and then hit the next shot and just don't worry about all the distractions. But yeah, it, it's hard. You know, you get you get people screaming out your name, and I I'm not speaking from personal experience, <laughs> but I'm just saying off TV. But you'll you'll see these people calling out these guys' names, and I've been to a few tournaments myself, and you know they have their blinders on, like they're not. There'll be someone in the front row, ten feet over, like, hey, like John, you got this, like go ahead, and like they won't even like look up. Like naturally, people when you hear your name, you're gonna you know you're gonna think to oh who is this? Like maybe it's someone I know, but it's like their own, their, sorry, it's like they're in their own bubble, you know, and that's a developed skill. I don't think you can teach that. And again, if you don't have that for fans watching, you know, it's, it's going to be extremely hard to succeed. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Well, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least try and get one tip out of you here, right? So what, what's, what's something that the average golfer who, you know, might only be getting 10 to 15 rounds a year in and, you know, they're, they're doing it for fun there. But what's something common that you, you see, you know, the average Joe doing that that's an easy fix for their game or, or maybe an area of focus that they might not think of that, that could shave a couple strokes off their game? Um. I would say more or less I see from a lot of players is that they'll take too big of a swing and it's difficult because even if you swing fast, if you're not hitting the ball properly, it's going to be inefficient. You're not going to get the most out of it. Um, there's a, a ratio between club head speed and ball speed and with a driver it's in miles per hour. And so if you swing hundred miles an hour and you have really good effective um, impact, it's going to be a ratio 1.5. So you're going to get 150 mile per hour ball speed. So there'll be sometimes you see a big, strong guy and he can really swing it and the ball does not go far. And you'll see a small skinny kid and he's out driving him. And it's because he's simply just better at putting the club at that moment of impact on the golf ball. So what I would say is for a lot of people out there, they should start small. Don't take as big of a golf swing because you really want to just focus on making good contact. And by doing that, it will probably go further. And then once you master that, yes, you can start to swing a bit faster and a bit longer if, you know, if you're bought house for it. Um, but really even taking three quarter or half swings and just really trying to make good contact. Well, you know, everyone probably seen happy Gilmore and I see it so often these people, you know, it's all about power and everything, but then they, they hit two balls into the bush and, you know, that only go 30 yards to begin with. So if you could just keep it simple um, and, and use it as a starting point, uh, and that could go for every club in your bag, um, you'll be amazed how far you can still actually hitting it, uh, hit it when you're only swinging at like 50%, uh, 60%, because you're probably going to make good contact. And then that, that cures so many problems. And then my only other big faux pas is when I see people at the driving range go for the driver. Yourselves a favor, take some shots with shorter swings. Again, it kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier. Get that feeling of making good contact, feel that ball come off the club face, and then progress. Like go to your irons and then to your woods and then ultimately to your driver. If you just start right away with your driver and you're going to kill it, it, uh, it's like just showing up for a race and you haven't run in forever. And then you're doing the 100 meter sprints, like start jogging first, like get, get your fundamentals in there correctly and then progress. Maybe start running a bit faster. You know, think of a treadmill, like keep increasing the speed on the treadmill. Just don't jump on the treadmill at like nine miles per hour. You're going to fall off and, you know, look bad doing it too. So just start, start small, and just um, have shorter swings and just work at good contact and then go from there. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, you know, look, looking ahead to the future here, what do you see for yourself, you know, maybe five years down the line? Are, are you still competing? Are, are you in a different avenue? Or, or what's in store for you? Uh, probably in about five years. I'll probably still play some events. I imagine, you know, uh, if, if my wife and I, we have a family, that will certainly change the dynamic. But I think no matter what a, a given year looks like, I think I'll still 
have one or two events on my calendar to uh, to compete in, and uh, I I, I want to make an effort to play in the Canadian men's meta amateur pretty well. Every year, it's a good excuse to travel around Canada and see different parts that I wouldn't otherwise go see. And I've been fortunate enough enough uh, fortunate enough to already see a couple provinces because of it, and uh, go to different areas. Uh, so that would probably be one of the events on a reoccurring basis, but who knows what the future has. I don't see it getting any more so. Like I'm fit to be able to um, do as many as I do with my job and kind of coordinate around that. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what the future has, but I, I don't expect it to increase anymore. I, I think my visions of turning professional are long in the rear view mirror and that was part of my um, detriment, I guess, if you want to call it that, was golf is a sport you could always get better at. Like most, like it's player. If you're not good by 18, like you're not turning pro. Like if you go to the U.S. for school, like it's already too late for you. And you kind of know that. Like a hockey player or a football player, you're like, you know, I could become great at 30, but I'm just too old. No one's going to sign me. But golf is this weird game where, like Phil Mickelson just turned eight, and he's leading the tournament right now uh, that they're playing. And it's like, maybe I become amazing at 40. And then what? Like, maybe I try it then. So there's always this maybe, maybe what if. And I think that's almost, uh, you kind of need to know when the odds are not in your favor and you kind of need to step aside and keep chasing that pipeline dream. Um, but yeah, certainly I, I, I could become the best player I've ever been, you know, later this summer or next year. But I still think that's miles from where I need to be to even contemplate trying to be a professional. You know, I have all the admiration and respect for those players in the world because I feel like I'm a good player and I watch them on TV and it's just like, wow, like I don't even know how they are doing that. So. <laughs> Yeah, so it's only compacted yeah. more when someone like me actually watches them on TV there, and I go, like, okay, well, great. They, they, they would have beaten me by about 20 shots today. So. Exactly, yeah. 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 Awesome. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us here. But before we let you go, you know, if, if there was someone who wanted to, you know, reach out with a question or, or learn more about your journey, that what, what, what's the easiest way for someone to get a hold of you? Um, I would... Probably say my email is probably the easiest one. Um, I don't know if you'll be able to put in, in a link or anything like that, Kyle, or, we'll or what we could do. But... There. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, we'll put a little blurb up at the bottom of the screen there or something. Yeah, sure. Yeah, if, if they have any questions, I'll, I'll provide that uh, to Kyle and he could have it in there if, if any of you want to reach out or anything like that along the way. If I can help in any, I'm more than happy to see what I can do for you, but no promises. <laughs> right on all right well thanks so much for joining us and yeah best of luck with whatever the heck this tournament season sort of looks like for you there it's definitely an uh, interesting one yeah for sure i appreciate that and uh best of luck with the rest of these videos and everything you're doing awesome thanks
Thanks very much for watching another episode of the Dinosaurs YouTube page and podcast network. Really appreciate you guys tuning in and continuing to grow this community here. As always, huge thank you goes out to our guest, Ryan Sevigny, for sitting down and uh, walking us through his uh, playing career and not only tournament-wise, but also his journey through uh, choosing the right school and how uh, that fit sort of came about for him there. So massive thank you for taking the time out to uh, join us to Ryan. As always, if you like what you see, make sure you comment, uh, like, share, subscribe we've got various social media pages as well that we'd love to connect with you guys um, as well there too so we do still have a monthly contest going on so if you want to check that out head over to our instagram page there still a few days left to get in on that aside from that we got some more great guests coming up and we hope you guys have a great weekend we'll see you guys next week